So if you've been journeying with us throughout this season, we are in a season called Advent. Advent is the period four Sundays before Christmas, where Christians from all over the world take some time to mark this season just before Christmas, to, to step with it with greater intentionality and seriousness and prayer and devotion. It is a season where we remind ourselves that one of the greatest moves of God is that he always comes to our world. He always comes for our world. He always comes to be with us in our world. So Advent means the arrival. And it's a season of anticipation and of waiting. So this is the season that we've been going through. Um, and we have a series to go with that. And one of the ceremonies we have as, a, as part of the Christian tradition is to light an Advent candle. So the four Sundays are themed like this. The, the first Sunday is hope, then peace. And today, the third Sunday is joy. And the fourth Sunday is love. And each of those Sundays, just to mark that moment, we light a candle. And it's so interesting with every week having one more candle. Almost like saying more light, more light, more light, more coming, more coming uh, of God. So I'm going to light the candles, and then I'll lead us in a prayer, even as we step into our sermon today. First candle of hope, peace, and joy. And let's say this prayer as we begin a prayer of joy. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, creator, savior, and spirit, today we light a candle for joy. There are three candles flickering here at our table, and we can see the light growing brighter. Today we lit the candle for joy, at a time when joy might feel far from most of us, at a time when joy might feel like too much to ask for some of us. So today we are open to a different kind of sort of joy, one that doesn't disengage from this beloved world, but a joy well acquainted with sorrow, compassion, and open hands. You are here in the midst of this. We believe most of the time. Would you meet with those who are longing for joy, with those who are sadder than we've ever been, and those who find joy to be impossible right now? We believe you have something to say to us today. Holy One, guide us in the way of joy. We yearn to be a people of joy, even in the midst of our honest lament. Our candles are lit, O joyful one and man of sorrows, and we are waiting. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming to gather with us today. My name is Roy Kabucho. I serve as the lead pastor of Journey ICC. 
I welcome you here to this community. If you haven't gathered with us, we are so glad that you came today and we welcome you to keep journeying with us. If you've been journeying with us for a long, long time, it's a joy. And if you haven't been here for a long time, welcome back. Uh, we are happy to gather with you today. This Advent season, we've been reflecting on joy. What does true joy look like? You know, Christmas is that season full of celebration and festivity and, 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 and thought of, thought it is said to be the happy season. But really, with how everything has been around us, sometimes you look around and you ask yourself, where did the truly joyful people go? What does joy look like in the midst of everything? So that has been our conversation this season. Um, we started off by saying joy is found in the ordinary, in the right now. You don't have to go anywhere else to find joy, start here, because the thing is God's presence is in every moment and joy can be found there. Then last week we said that there are moments of suffering in life. And joy does not have to wait until all is well. But even in those moments, joy is really uh, acknowledging that God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us, even in those moments. And so today, we're going to talk about joy in the mess. And I thought of uh, starting with a short clip, uh, and then we'll get into the conversation. My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Those, 
Does it feel like Christmas after watching that? <laughs> this is a, an advert for a huge retail uh, company in the UK called Sainsbury. But it's based actually on a, on, a, on, a, on a true event. A few months after the beginning of World War I, uh, which began perhaps sometimes media 2014, uh, a group of soldiers found themselves on Christmas Eve in trenches against each other the German camp and the, and the UK camp and the British camp. And this being Christmas Eve, perhaps one of the young soldiers or the Germans were just overwhelmed with the meaning of the moment and they found themselves singing the German carol, Silent Night, Holy Night. But what surprised them is that the British camp responded in English. And because of singing together, somehow they agreed on what is called the Christmas truce. Let's not shoot on each other. After all, it's Christmas, right? So they came out of their trenches, met each other, shared stories and presents. They played football, but it's always disputed who won, right? Um, some people say Germany, others say Britain. Yeah. But as you watched the clip, the saddest moment was in the midst of all that joy and camaraderie and friendship. They hear the sounds of bombs and explosions in a distance, and nobody has to say a word. They just have to turn their backs against each other and go back to the trenches. And what bugs me is that the next day, perhaps they began shooting at each other after playing soccer, after just the Christmas truce. And I ask myself, what is it about human beings that causes us to do the worst to each other? And I, you know, we live in a, in a broken reality. That day, Christmas was experienced um, with the echoes of bombs and explosions. And you've been following news, perhaps you've, found, you've heard this very weird phrase, Christmas has been canceled in Bethlehem. And it's supposed to make us realize, wow, you know, all our carols, all little town of Bethlehem, you know, uh, everything points to Bethlehem. But this year, Christmas has been canceled in Bethlehem because as they have Christmas, it's in the background of bombs and guns and explosions. Uh, but it's amazing that Christmas still happens even in that. Yeah, Christmas this year in Bethlehem will be in the midst of human brokenness and chaos and anarchy. Right? But it's also the story of all of us. Um, we're never perfect people. There's something about us human beings that we are all imperfect. Imperfect. And so Christmas being a season of joy, today we are reflecting on the idea, joy in the mess. What does that look like in the mess of our humanity and our brokenness? I'd like to invite us to, the, to, 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 to our Christmas story of the day. This season is all about Christmas stories. Um, and I'm going to bore you with Matthew chapter 1 from verse 1 and 17, a list of names as we see what God can say to us about it. Matthew 1, 1 to 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, and Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Are you with me? Are you keeping track? Right? And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of David, uh, I'm sorry, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, <sighs> and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, and the father of Jeconiah, and, and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and uh, Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliazah, and Eliazah, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation, to Babylon, 14 generations, and from deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And that's the word of the Lord for us this afternoon. You can go home. You have a powerful word. You have your Christmas message, right? And you're thinking the pastor just wrapped in Hebrew. <laughs> so, yeah. So, here is a list of people through the ages, Matthew's list. Each name is a story. Each name lived in a particular place. They lived and they died. Some people, we have no idea who they are. Others, we have more and more details. And it's so interesting, a couple of things about this list, um, is that those of us we know about, some of them are really celebrated. You know, Abraham. But Abraham, we also know among some of his details, he was given to wrestle a lot with doubt and fear. And at some point, this king asked him, who's that lady, your wife? But Abraham had to lie, that is not my wife. Until the king actually started, got to marry Sarah, right? So in the midst of insecurity, Abraham faltered time and again. He, you know, Isaac did the same thing as his dad at one point, lied to survive. Maybe he, they thought, if I say the truth, I'll be murdered, and so let me sacrifice my wife, right? So that was those two patriarchs. Then they end up having Jacob. I guess the lies in, escalate, right? Jacob literally lied his way from the moment he was born, you know, to a, a, a long, long time. The only way he knew how to make it through life is to lie. In fact, his name means something close to trickster. So here we are. Throughout the Old Testament, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the th amazing thing about scripture is that it doesn't hide faults, right? Jacob later had a son, you know, in that genealogy, Judah and his brothers. Then Judah was the father of Perez, but you, through Tamar. So basically, Judah fathered Perez through the wife of his son, right? One of his sons had married Tamar at first, and he died, and the other son died, and, 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 and the third one 
almost died, and so Tamar had to disguise herself as a prostitute and get Judah drunk, and they got son, Perez. Judah is in this list. Why? And Tamar also. And they go on and on and on. Then we meet Rahab, a foreigner whose profession was a prostitute. She's on the list. Next to that, there's Ruth, a foreigner, part of the you know, the, the enemies of Israel for a long, long time, the Moabites, those people, don't think of them, don't touch them, they're evil, they're defiled, she's on the list, right? So on and on and on, that's the first 14. The second 14 begins with David was the father of Solomon. Solomon was wise and wealthy, but he was given to excesses beyond end, 300 wives, 1,000 concubines. He was heavy-handed, he was a bad ruler, and he set the precedent, chances are, King after king after king from Solomon, they were bad. In fact, people who read Kings and Chronicles, they say there were perhaps only four good kings in a period of about 200 years. David was one of them and a few others. Only four did well, but the rest, they were the embodiment of evil. One after, the, one after another, they murdered. They turned to idolatry. They were the worst of the worst. They were so bad that God struck some of them dead. They were so bad that there's a guy here called Jeconiah who was cast completely, and he makes it to the least. Then after the kings comes a bunch of other guys we've never heard. Whether Matthew made up these names or not, you know, who cares? Who, how do you even prove? Who are these guys? But they are on the list. The genealogy of Jesus is not made up of perfect people. It is tainted. It is tainted. It is full of all these strange happenings. Um, this made me think of an often quoted genealogy list that I'm going to read for you. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. US. He was one of the most respected of, preachers of his day. He attended Yale at the age of 13 and later went on to become the president of Princeton College. He married his wife Sarah in 1727 and they were blessed with 11 children. Every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his, families, with his family and then praying a blessing up over each child. Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, passed on a great godly legacy to their 11 children. An American educator um, decided to trace Jonathan Edwards almost, um, Jonathan, the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. His findings were remarkable, especially when compared to another person who lived at the same time period known as Marx Jukes. Jonathan Edwards' legacy includes one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, military officers, public office holder, 80 public officers, office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. Max Duke's legacy came to people's attention when the family trees of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to him. He lived in New York at about the same period as Edwards. Duke's descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 
150 other convicts, 310 paupers, 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied in 1877, 300 of them had died prematurely. Two completely opposite genealogies. I share this story to highlight one thing to you. If you were to write a genealogy of Jesus with those two Edwards or Jukes, which one would you work with? <laughs> Some people are actually brave enough to say Jukes. Uh, but, you know, chances are we'd tend to even imagine and think, you know, the lineage of Jesus would be more the Edwards kind of lineage. The, the next question is, what would God do? Having read Matthew's genealogy, I'm not suggesting that God would work 100% with Jukes. But literally, Matthew's genealogy is like a mashup of Jukes and Edwards. That's what it looks like. You know, sometimes when we read it, as Matthew wrote it, it is far removed from us, it is distant, those Hebrew guys. But if you read like jo Edwards and, and Jukes, it is exactly a mashup of that. Murderers, thieves, presidents, kings, preachers, prostitutes. It's all that. That's what we read on the list or an equivalent of it. But even as entangled as it might have been, it did not stop the Messiah from arriving through that tainted lineage. Um, so Matthew's list, in essence, looks like a blend of Edwards and Jukes. And in fact, um, you know, Matthew doesn't hide the faults of even the good one. The scandal of the genealogy of Jesus. It is a list of ordinary and great. It is a list of good and bad. It is a list of wise and foolish. It is a list of just ones and evil ones. It is a list of broken ones and mended ones. And on and on and on it goes. It is an all manner of people list. And here's why I think it is good news. The very first chapter of Matthew is a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. I think it is good news because you who is seated here today, you are those people. You have good moments, bad moments. You have ordinary moments and great moments. You have wise moments and foolish moments. You have broken moments and you have mended moments. You have just moments and sometimes you have evil moments. That is the story of us. So this genealogy presents to us a couple of invitations this Advent season. Um, and even as we live into the new year, and as far as joy is concerned, what do we do with all that? So the first invitations, the first invitation is this. Give up your ambitions for a perfect life. Give up your ambitions for a perfect life. It is true that there are no perfect people, but still, still, there is something in us. We know it, but the way we live it is that we are always living in the pursuit of a perfect life. We are always striving to be the perfect person. The perfect life is an unachievable target. Um, you will never be a perfect man or a perfect woman. You will never be a perfect spouse. You will never be a perfect parent. You will never even be a perfect friend. 
you will never even be a perfect follower of Jesus Christ. Give up your ambitions for the perfect life. On one level, we know this, but quietly at the heart level, the space that inspires our, uh, our values, our motivations, our worldview, we live as if there's a chance to be perfect. We push ourselves to strive to be a perfect human being. But the quest for a perfect life is a killer of the joyful life. We place upon ourselves a burden too heavy to bear. And time and time again, we fall short of the perfect target. What do we do with it? Where is joy to be found? The Christmas story is a messy story. The lineage of Jesus is an imperfect lineage. It is, it, it is full of mess up and broken people. If you, today when you go home and read the genealogy of Luke, they don't even list the same people. They even made mistakes to list people. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an imperfect, it's an imperfect genealogy. It's made up of people who are good and bad and broken. The manger where the stable, in, in, in the stable where Jesus was born, I doubt there was anyone who cleaned expecting the arrival of Mary and Joseph. It was messy, it was thinking. The Christmas story happens in the midst of the mess. And I love that. But it doesn't stop the divine from reaching out. It doesn't stop divine reality from breaking forth and encountering us. So this is what you do as you give up your ambitions for the perfect life, it is better to embrace your imperfect self and keep seeing God moving in that rather than striving for a, to attain a perfect standard that you can offer to God. It's so true. Many of us believe that Christianity is a journey of achieving a perfect self that you can offer to God. I have good news for you today. Maybe you will like it or you won't. God is more concerned with moving through our imperfect selves than waiting to receive an, a, a perfect offering from us. God is more concerned in encountering you in your imperfection than waiting for you to bring a perfect self to him. And that is good news. Which brings us to our second point from that genealogy story. It's all about the mercy of God. I want to ask you, who in that list deserved to be on the lineage of Christ? Who deserved to be on that list? Who in that list thought that there's a chance to be on the lineage of Jesus, wrote up a CV, sent an application to God, God reviewed it, many applications, many were disqualified and a few qualified and were actually inducted into the hall of fame of the lineage of Christ. Who? Who in that list knew that as they were living their lives, they would one day end up on the lineage of Christ and so maybe aligned their lives to live in a way that was worthy of being in that lineage? Who? None of them. Maybe Mary comes close because she had a visitation. But no one, they all lived their lives, normal lives, ups and downs, some of them absolutely evil. So this is a list of the move of God's mercy in qualifying the unqualified than it is a list of God working with the qualified. That is what that list is. That is perhaps why Matthew begins by listing that for us. As we read through that list, 
we should begin to see ourselves and find comfort. Even before Jesus arrives, we're just thinking, wow, look at how God moves and works. Matthew's list includes people in history. This one was the father of that one. And you can actually explore and find there were actual people in a time and in a place. But what if you were to do your own list? What would that include? I don't think Matthew wants you to make your ancestral list. Matthew just wants you to sit back and reflect in your life what it has been like this year. Your list would be a list about your past. It is a list of your past experiences, decisions, ups and downs, joys and sorrows, triumphs and defeats. It is a list of the story you have lived this year, both the things you're so proud of and the ones you cringed and are embarrassed about yourself. It is a list of how you showed up fully, as well as the moments you declined to show up or even showed up as your worst and you're ashamed of it. That is what your list would look like. It is a list of all of that. But it is also, the good news is, it is not a list of just your story. It is a list of the mercy of God. It is a list of a God who moves through your most imperfect self and redeems you and still accomplishes his purpose. It is an invitation to simply be a recipient of mercy than an achiever of perfection. And I think that is such a joyful, liberating way to live. True joy is to know how merciful and redeeming God has been in your life than knowing how perfect you have managed to live. That is what true joy is. After all, no one, no one ever lives perfectly. And often this quest of perfection Guess what it does? It carries alongside it burdens of guilt and shame. For one, everyone who strives to be perfect is ill-equipped to deal with their own imperfections and their failures which keep showing up. So beloved friends, maybe you're here today weighed down and burdened by your failings of the days gone by by how often you give in to pressures and to temptations. Perhaps you are hung up this very moment. You're still hung up on your last mistake. Give up your ambitions for the perfect life. If you're hung up on your last mistake, guess what? God already moved on from that. And guess what God is doing? He is weaving and writing a redemptive story. If you can only let go of the quest to be perfect, and somehow, by letting go of that, you discover you have more space to embrace mercy. The Christmas story invites us to be less focused on our own efforts at leaping forward and catching a perfect life and attaining it, we focus less on that and instead focus more on God's mercy and redemptive work in our lives. And the reality is that despite your very best efforts, you will always be an imperfect vessel that bears the presence of God. And that is what that genealogy says, really, the presence of God was passed through this tainted, broken lineage to the very point the Messiah arrives. No matter how much you try, you'll always be a 
broke a, 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 an imperfect vessel that holds the perfect presence of God. And that is very good news. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19, Paul writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul is writing the same thing to us, the same thing we've been hearing the last couple of minutes. When you look back at your life, it is not more about just celebrating the effort at perfection that you may have, but it is also a move of mercy. How many moments when you look back were you deserving of mercy? And I think that's what Paul says. I look back, I see all these weaknesses, and guess what? I rejoice because then the power of Christ dwells in me. I am an imperfect vessel that is fully dependent on the mercy of God. And that is good news. A joyful place to live indeed. And one more point from the genealogy of Matthew. It, it concludes, after it lists all these names, these are the final names that are listed. And Jacob became the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. What is the last name listed in that genealogy? Hmm? Messiah. But of the ancestors, who is the last name? Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. I, I thought that was so interesting because many of those guys just lived and had nothing to do with it. But this is what he said of Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 38, uh, before that, the angel has come and has said, you'll carry the Messiah, and Mary has this one response. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. I think what Mary does is to present to us the one posture necessary in this whole drama of life. You may not be perfect. It is all the doing of God, but Mary is reminding us it requires our yes. It requires our consent. It requires us to learn that one word or one that statement or that one prayer that Mary makes. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. So we are in this season where the year comes to an end. You know, many of us get the privilege of slowing down, celebrating, resting. And maybe alongside with that, there's a time of prayer. Thanking God for the year has been uh, new dreams for the coming year. Maybe one of the things we do is to look back at the year we have lived. And as you look back, as you look back, perhaps what you see are all the ways you have acted and made a difference and moments that you're proud of. And you're so happy about that. But also, what else you see are all the ways you have acted in the wrong way and brought about unwanted consequences. And maybe you're not proud about that. At other times, when you look back, you may be full of regrets of all the ways you failed to act and to see opportunities that were ahead of you. Whatever you see this season, also remember 
that it's not just about your story and how you moved in those moments. It is also a story of the mercy of God in each and every of those moments. It is a story of also God choosing you, choosing to work with those good, bright, broken, tainted lineage of your actions this year and still be here and still choose you and still say you may be an imperfect vessel, but you're worthy of carrying divine presence. And the best thing you can do as you look back this year is to learn those words of Mary. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. In this series, we've been trying to also conclude by offering you a practice of joy. Because it's one thing to say joy and maybe tell you, go be joyful, but how can you, what, what can you do to continue cultivating joy? And so in the first week, when we talked about joy in the ordinary moments, the practice was gratitude in every moment. Because what it does is that gratitude opens your heart and your soul to the goodness in the present moment. And that has a way of building wonder and awe and, and, and curiosity to life, which is a very necessary aspect of joy. Last week, we were talking about what happens when we suffer. Do we have to wait until the end for us to arrive at joy? But we were told, no, joy can also be encountered by acknowledging that God is present with you as you suffer. And so the practice was help, help asking for help. You see, when we ask for help, it allows us to acknowledge all the ways that life is beyond us and at times difficult for us and allows us to depend on God and on one another in the midst of it all. Help says something is happening in my life that I don't like that is beyond me and it's actually hard. Help me, God, help me, dear friend. It just says we are not gods of life. It takes a turn and it can be hard. And that aspect of humility can really begin to cultivate joy in those moments. Next week, we will talk about the practice of giving ourselves in love. But today, what practice can accompany you to find joy in the messes of our lives? And it is the practice of these two words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This posture allows us to acknowledge our imperfect humanness instead of being crushed by shame and guilt. This practice allows us to own to our failures and position ourselves as recipients of mercy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This practice reminds us that joy is not the end goal of arriving at a perfect self, but true joy can accompany us even when we're failing because we can say, I'm sorry. I failed, I'm human. It is a humility. You know, the quest for perfection is like barricading yourself from failure, which never happens, but it continues to rob you of joy. What would it look like to just fail and to just say, I failed there and I'm sorry? I'm sorry brings you face to face with your imperfect self and your need for mercy. And therein you discover healing and joy in the midst of the imperfect. So today, as you leave this place, and in the coming days of Christmas, what would it look like to say I'm sorry? 
as you look back as the year, moments you were proud of, moments you just mark with a huge green tick. Yes, that was what I aimed at. That was my best self. But also as you look at some of those moments where you can only mark it with a huge red X, that is not me at all, and I deeply regret that. What do you do in those moments? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I failed. You can say that to God, I'm sorry I keep struggling like this. Imagine what it would look like to also turn to someone who was affected by your imperfection and your failures and tell them, I'm sorry, I acted like this. Healing begins to rise up. There's more joy to that. And ultimately, imagine sitting with yourself and saying, I'm sorry. As I was thinking about this message, I, I thought of this question, what will it take for you to be happy with yourself? And when you dig deeper, it is a quest for perfection. And because it's a quest for perfection that always ends up in failure, you end up not being happy with yourself. It's a moment to just say, I'm sorry. And you say your name, I'm sorry, Rodrigo. I'm sorry I let you down like this. And it's only in those places. It's, it's, it's fascinating that joy does not invite us to leap forward to a place where we can find it. It invites us to sort of stand fully where we are the ordinary, the suffering, the mess, and in there, joy can only rise from within. And so this is another practice, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you'll discover freedom in your relationship with imperfection, because it's not going anywhere. As well as increased joy as an imperfect human being, it's so good. And I think that is what the Christmas story is. Just how Jesus was born in the midst of all that, it reminds us that we are a people called by God. So, uh, friends, this happens to be the last in-person gathering for us this year because we are closing on the 24th and on the 20 and on the 31st. I correct myself, we are not closing. We are moving it online, right? We're moving it online. Um, yeah, take some time to rest, travel safely. Um, take some time to refresh and replenish. Let's connect remotely. And as I was thinking about this day and this last message of the year, I thought that my deepest prayer and wish for you this season is that what would it look like not just to go through Christmas season, but to truly reconnect with, what, with true joy? You can do it. Maybe just say, what if go joy was just the target? Where is joy lacking? What is standing on the way? What would it look like to just step in there prayerfully and with Christ and, and just reconnect with true joy? That's my prayer for you. So take time to rest. Take time to, to, to take up these practices. Be grateful. Recognize God's loving presence also in the difficulty. And more importantly, even from today, go lightly on yourself in the midst of all the imperfections. God still chooses you. Experience the freedom that comes from that and our capacity to, to be joyful. So in this season and all its pressures, please rediscover joy. Joy is the insistence we bring to life that there's always the goodness of God woven in whatever circumstance that it is. Insist on joy. Insist on joy. Lean into it. There are very few truly joyful people. Be one of them. That is the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of that bundle of joy, the meaning that God 
comes and puts on our broken humanity and just walks joyfully with it and models that to us. So lean into joy, beloved friends. Lean into joy, and whatever you do, have a merry, merry Christmas. Will you? Let's pray. Today, I just want to begin with this prayer. Maybe you're here, and you're sensing the need to just turn over your life to Christ for the very first time to say, Lord Jesus, I think I just want to say like Mary, here am I, your servant. Let it be with me according to your word. It just does matter that at some point in our lives, we just say, this is how I intentionally want to live my life from this moment forward, following Jesus. So if you're here right where you're seated, just open your hands as an outward symbol of an inner choice of the heart. And I will pray. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone who's making this decision, you see them. And I just pray that you can embrace them in your loving arms and reassure them that you choose them, that you love them, that you'll be there to help them and encourage them and guide them in this life journey, that, you can, that your spirit will dwell in them richly as you shape them and transform them and heal them into the humans you imagine them to be. So may you bless them. May you take good care of them. And then secondly, this is a prayer for all of us as we sit here in this gathering. I just would invite you likewise to just open your hands as we conclude in this prayer. Lord Jesus, all of us wrestle with a burden of, 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 of imperfection, striving for a perfect life. And today we are being reminded that it is not so much our striving as it is your choosing of us, as it is your story of mercy, your redemptive story through all our highs and lows, through all our good and bad. So forgive us where we have faltered. We are sorry, whatever that looks like. We bring all those things to you because we know you hear us and you receive those prayers and you do heal and forgive and renew and replenish. So forgive us, God. And we know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit alongside with other fruits. So work your joy into our lives and may this season be marked by the deep sense of joy that comes only from you. So help us. Fill us with your joy this season. Especially for those of us who's, of whom joy is so far right now. Sit with them. You who is an embodiment of joy and fill them with your joy step by step. Teach us that posture of living. And we say together with Mary that here we are, God, your servants. Let it be with us according to your word. So release your joy upon us. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.